0: The text of our sermon comes from Psalm 119, and we will read verse 62. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Let us us bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thy word is perfect, restoring the soul, making wise the simple, and enlightening the eyes of the blind, the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. We, however, are by nature blind and incapable of doing anything good, and thou wilt relieve only those who have a broken and contrite heart and who revere thy word. We entreat thee that thou wouldst illumine our darkened minds with thy Holy Spirit and give us a humble heart, free from all haughtiness and carnal wisdom, in order that we, hearing thy word, may rightly understand it and regulate our lives accordingly. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. If we climb high enough to get a bird's eye view of this text we see three things. Number one David's thankful disposition. Number two the earnestness or the intensity of his thankful disposition. He's getting up at midnight to thank God. And thirdly the reason he is thankful because of thy righteous judgments. In short David is thankful because of God's Providence, His everywhere present power, whereby He governs all things for His glorious purposes. There's a lot of gold that we could mine out of this text, but I want to focus on one doctrine that our passage teaches us. Namely, the providence of God, rightly considered, gives us more cause to thank God than to complain. Well, how do we draw that doctrine from our text? Well, read what goes immediately before it. David says, the bands of the wicked have robbed me. And on the heels of that statement, David declares a gratitude to God that rouses him from his bed at midnight. So here's David, met with the greatest of disappointments, and yet we find him giving thanks to God for his providence. In other words, David saw in the evils that befell him the loving hand of his loving God. When we are met with disappointments, trials, and afflictions, we should see in them the hand of God working in them for our good. And we can and should give God thanks. Thanksgiving in affliction is an act of faith. It is a recognition that God is wiser than us, that He knows what He is doing, and that He is governing His creation according to the holiness of his own character. The judge of all the earth will do right. So I'd like to apply this truth in several ways this evening. A, though we may not have an actual possession, the blessings we seek and pray for, yet we give God thanks for them. We all know by personal experience the truth of the Bible's testimony that God answers prayers. If he's delaying his answer to our request, it is because he has appointed a more fit time to give us what we seek. Psalm 43 and verse 5 says, Why art thou cast down my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Wait on God, for yet I will give him thanks. He is my present help and my God. One of the most profound displays of this doctrine can be found in Psalm 73. David begins by questioning why it is that the righteous so often suffer adversity while the wicked often seem to dwell in safety and prosperity. Without a robust view of God's sovereign overruling of all things, this might cause a man to lose his resolve to live according to God's word. The psalmist says, certainly I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. In other words, if I'm living by the assumption that outward prosperity is a sure sign of God's favor and outward adversity is a sure sign of God's displeasure and here I am suffering adversity yet living according to God's will, then why bother? The psalm starts to turn in verse 15. David says that though he may feel tempted to entertain such corrupt thoughts about God's providence, he knows better. He says, if I say, I will judge thus, behold the generation of thy children. I have transgressed. In other words, if I give place to this evil thought, I offend against your providence because you dispose all things in wisdom and preserve your children in their greatest trials and afflictions. But the tide really turns, beginning in verse 17. From verse 17 to 24, David declares, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely thou hast set them in slippery places and castest them down into desolation. How suddenly are they destroyed, perished, and horribly consumed as a dream when one awaketh. O Lord, when thou hast raised us up, thou shalt make their image despised. Certainly mine heart was vexed, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was a beast before thee, yet I was always with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand. Thou wilt guide me by thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. When David went into the house of God and was brought face to face with the wisdom of God's providential governing of all things, he came away satisfied with his lot. He knew that though the enemies of the church may temporarily prosper, they don't enjoy God's favor. They are being fattened for the slaughter. David sees that the prosperity of the wicked is no sign of God's favor, but rather a mark of his wrath. It demonstrates how sinful the wicked are and how just God is in destroying them. They receive good gifts from his hand and then they turn these gifts into instruments of their sin. David even says, I would be as dumb as an animal not to see this. Regardless of my outward estate, I am always with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. By faith, we are assured that providence always watches over us to preserve us. B, we give thanks for God's long history of loving kindness to us. In 1 Samuel 7, we read of a glorious victory of the church over the Philistines. And as a testimony to God's goodness, Samuel the prophet sets up a large stone pillar as a monument that he names Ebenezer, which means stone of help. And he says, Hitherto... Hath the Lord helped us? The Old Testament contains many such stories of monuments erected in gratitude for great acts of God's grace. And the purpose of these monuments was to instill in future generations the quality of thankfulness. What was the purpose of Israel's annual commemoration of the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Day of Atonement? Celebrating these holy days annually was a way of keeping fresh the memory of God's goodness as well as instilling a sense of solidarity among God's people. We may be separated by centuries from the Israelites who crossed the Red Sea, ate manna for 40 years, crossed the Jordan, and conquered Canaan. But their history is our history. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper by faith, we put ourselves in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples as he converted the old Passover, celebrated for 2,000 years, into the Holy Supper, now celebrated by Christians for 2,000 years. And this is the purpose of our annual celebration of Thanksgiving Day. By setting aside this day every year, we enter into the spirit of gratitude displayed by our pilgrim fathers when they publicly express their thankfulness to God for his providential care over them. See, we acknowledge that we are already in possession of blessings which far outweigh our adversities. We have forgiveness of sins. We have peace with God, joy unspeakable and full of glory. How can any earthly temporal affliction compare to such glorious gifts. 1 Peter 4, 13 and 14 reads, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall appear, ye may be glad and rejoice. If ye be railed upon for the name of Christ, blessed are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, which on their part is evil spoken of, but on your part is glorified. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, causeth unto us a far most excellent and an eternal weight of glory. Paul describes the glory unto which God has predestined his children in the words, eternal weight of glory. This is no shallow enjoyment, no fluffy entertainment, no faddish diversion, the glory of heaven is such that the longer we partake of it, the more glorious it will appear. No one will be bored in heaven. D. Afflictions for the sake of Christ and the gospel are actually to be accounted of as blessings. And we should give God thanks for these rather than complain. Philippians 1.29 says, For unto you it is given for Christ that not only ye should believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The word rendered given is the Greek word echariste, which comes from the word charis, which means a gift of grace. So let's reread the verse with that in mind. Unto you it is gifted in grace for Christ, that not only ye should believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The verse tells us, first of all, that the ability to exercise saving faith, to believe in Christ, is a gift of God's grace which he bestows on us for Christ's sake. And secondly, the verse says that suffering for the sake of Christ is also a gift of God's grace that he lovingly bestows upon his children for Christ's sake. Acts 5 tells us how the disciples were arrested for preaching the gospel of Christ. In verses 40 through 42, we read that the Sanhedrin of the Jews called the apostles, and when they had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer rebuke for his name. And daily in the temple and from house to house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Notice that the apostles considered it a glorious privilege to suffer shame, persecution, and even to be flogged for the name of Jesus. E, our afflictions are far less than we deserve for our sins. Think of some of the great prayers in the Bible, particularly the prayers of Ezra and Daniel. The heart of Ezra's prayer is found in these words, O oh my God, I am confounded and ashamed. To lift up mine eyes unto thee, my God, for our infirmities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up to the heaven. From the days of our fathers we have been in a great uh, trespass unto this day. And now for a little space, grace hath been shown from the Lord our God in causing a remnant to escape and in giving us a nail in his holy place that our God may light our eyes and give us a little reviving in our servitude. O Lord God of Israel, thou art just. For we have been reserved to escape as appeareth this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespass. Therefore, we cannot stand before thee because of it. Ezra's prayer also contains these words. Thou our God hast stayed us from being beneath for our infirmities and has given us such deliverance. The meaning of these words is, that we have suffered far less than our sins have deserved. We deserve to be blotted out from under the heaven, yet we have been preserved and delivered from the judgment that we have justly merited. Daniel prays, O Lord God, which are great and fearful and keepeth covenant and mercy toward them which love thee and toward them which keep thy commandments. We have sinned, And we have committed iniquity and have done wickedly. Yea, we have rebelled and have departed from thy precepts and from thy judgments. For we would not obey thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, and unto us open shame as appeareth this day unto every man of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Yea, unto all Israel, both near and far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their offenses that they have committed against thee. O Lord, unto us appertaineth open shame to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. Yet compassion and forgiveness is in the Lord our God, albeit we have rebelled against him. For we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws, which He has laid before us by the ministry of His servants, the prophets. Now, while we are not to wallow in despair, it is always healthy for us to acknowledge the greatness of our sins and thereby to acknowledge the greatness of our redemption. Our catechism teaches us this under the names guilt and grace, And what's the third G of the catechism? Gratitude. Thankfulness. When we see how great our guilt is, we appreciate how great God's grace is. And this prompts us to great thankfulness for all the wonders of His love. The life of faith is a life of continual thanksgiving. And finally, God can bring good out of our afflictions. Augustine wrote that God can bring good out of evil and therefore we should never fret about why God has ordained the existence of evil. Romans 8, 28 says, Also we know that all things work together for the best unto them that love God, even to them that are called of His purpose. The Puritan preacher Thomas White, who died about 1672, wrote on this text, We, saith the great apostle, do not think... Imagine conjecture, but know that all things, not only gifts, graces, ordinances, but all creatures, all providences, all changes, all events and occurrences, even those things that appear most formidable, the persecutions of men, the temptations of the devil, shall work not singly and apart, but together for good. For good, yes, but it is unto them that, that be good. Hands off, wicked and profane wretches, you have no lot nor part in these heavenly consolations. Away, base swine, to your styes, to your muck and mire, these pearls are not for you. ye dogs to the garbage that lieth upon the dunghill, the children's bread is not for you. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Why so? Because they are the called according to His purpose. Psalm 73 teaches us that outward prosperity is no sign of God's favor. When everything is coming up roses for the unbeliever, he may deceive himself into thinking, all things are working together for my good, but he is dead wrong. All things, including and especially his prosperity, are working together for his destruction. Now, let's think back to Philippians 1.29. It is granted to us to believe in Jesus and to suffer for him. Now, if we know that he has granted us the gift of faith, then we can bear with thanksgiving any suffering we may be called to endure because we know that we are the called according to His purpose. And so we come full circle to the words of our text. David says, The bands of the wicked have robbed me. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Whether prosperity or adversity be our lot, we are thankful to God because our state, whatever it may be, comes not by chance, but by His righteous judgments. Let us pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we adore Thee and bless Thy holy name. Thou art worthy to receive blessing and honor and glory and power, for Thou hast created and dost preserve all things. The eyes of all wait for Thee, and Thou givest them their food in due season. Thou openest Thy hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Thou hast granted us life and favor, and Thy visitation hath preserved our spirit. We give thee thanks for all the blessings we have received, for all the success we have attained, for having been able to overcome manifold bodily infirmities, dangers, and temptations. So direct us that we may render an acceptable thanksgiving unto thee. And now we praise thee with grateful hearts that thou hast again nourished and strengthened us through thy holy word. O grant that we may receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls Forbid that we should be wayside hearers, nor let our hearts be like the stony ground or choked with thorns, but help us to be like the good ground, into which the golden seed of thy word doth fall and cometh forth again, bringing fruit for time and eternity. Direct our eyes to the great harvest at the end of the world. Help us to realize that the heavenly reaping shall be in proportion to the earthly sowing. He that soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he that soweth abundantly shall also reap bountifully." Let this promise be an incentive to holy living and to do good to all men as we have opportunity. May this vision of the future harvest make us resigned in trials, patient amid the cares and worries of life, willing to provide for the poor and sick and to guide the feeble and erring ones into paths of righteousness. And when the reaping time comes and the Lord of the harvest appears to gather the righteous into eternal glory, Father, grant that we too may be among the number of those who love his appearing.